Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Hey, what's up, everybody? Knuckles here. Listen, it's been over a year we've been doing the Raw Knuckles Podcast, and boy, has time flown. I can't believe it. We've had some great guests, some great moments, some funny moments, some awkward moments, some emotional moments. So we put together the best clips over the past year, and I hope you enjoy. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. I've talked about addiction, alcoholism, and you know what happened with dad. And um, have you yep. addressed any of that with your kids? Absolutely. Um, that was stuff that we spoke with them quite openly about when Bob was alive. I remember being pregnant with Brogan that Bob was like, oh my gosh, I don't want our kids to know anything about my past, my his, nothing, nothing. And it was actually a therapist that guided him through that and what uh, answering the questions that were age appropriate. At the time, um, honesty is definitely the best policy. And seeing that uh, you were showing the kids, we showed the kids that we had weaknesses, we were human, we were far from perfect, and where we came from that, like what we did with that. Um, so that was that was really important for us to, to maintain. And Bob did a great job with honesty with the kids. Any yeah. times, I mean, he wouldn't, you know, just go out of his way to talk about it, but if they asked, he always answered honestly. And that continued on in his passing, um, always, you know, being the mama bear, harping on them of eating properly and, uh, you know, heart disease in the family, addictions in the family. Um, I know at the beginning of COVID, two of my kids went away for help uh, dealing with PTSD. I was I was so proud of them and, uh, and them recognizing that they had some issues that they wanted to work on and to deal with. And there was no shame in that. Uh, yeah, there's no stigma in this household. It's uh, we open. We talk about it openly and it's healthy. And um, I, the girls going out there was the best experience for them. And I have one child getting into one of the child, one of my adult children is getting into mental health and addictions. She's taking those courses. Um, the other one's in sports psychology and you know, the other two, they're doing such great things. And it's, I, I, I'm thankful for the, the groundwork that Bob laid early on with the honesty thing. Cause if he had left and not been honest with them for all those years and having to deal with it after in his passing, that would have been really yeah. difficult. No, but that that's the information is out there, right? Like my kids can Google it's there. What's yeah. the point yeah. of bullshitting? And, 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 and <clears throat> you said talking like talking is like the healthiest. That's what saves me right now. It's like, I, cause I'm like, an, I'm an isolator. Like I don't want to talk to anybody. Like that's kind of naturally, why I would do what I do, but it, it's, you know, I have kids and my kids are seven and four. No. Communication is key. Yeah, yeah. And keeping and, and the so lines like, of communication open at all times. That's and I'm huge. not doing what I'm doing to tell them, like, I don't judge alcohol or like, any, you know, I don't judge. It's just like, I'm, I'm hopefully the hope is that one day they understand and ho hopefully they don't, they don't remember who I, you know, that guy or never have to meet that guy. But like, I'm not doing this to tell them they can't ever do and have a drink. It's just like, just the awareness of like, hey, like, you know, hopefully they know why they're, they're doing things. Cause I, I knew it's like, I, mine was a complete escape, right? Like that's, and I still want to escape at times. I still have, have it talking and it's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. You said that word and that's what you guys do. Cause that, that is like, like, I think Nux, you said it earlier, you're only sick as your secrets. Right. And yeah. you, you, Bob used to say that all the time. I mean, time. it's true though. Absolutely. And it's, it's like too, it's like when you talk about it, you realize, you know, when, and, and I mean, there's a lot of people that go through things, right? You know, and if you don't talk about it, you're just going to be, you're going to victimize and, and eventually just feel alone. And it's hard. I mean, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing to do. But oh, it's not easy. Yeah. No, Honesty and communication. That's, <laughs> listen, that's what they, uh, when you hear people who go through addiction and alcoholism, you, you hear them say, you got to do the work. Yeah. It's work. If you've done the work, then you understand what the work is. And yeah. that's part of it. It's it's mm -hmm. being able to address those things, talk about those things, talk about those things which make you uncomfortable. And it's not an easy, easy road, but it's it's well worth it when you go through that 
that that process it's not an easy one but again well worth it um it's worth it if you work it right next yeah exactly <laughs> and listen i i don't get it do you think because when i saw you play you can certainly skate at that level you were hard nosed you were certainly a useful player a guy that could certainly um maybe not top six i wasn't a top six but you could definitely play in the nhl there's no question about it do you think you know your your upbringing where you're from had an adverse effect on your career in the end I, yes yes I, I definitely yeah. do because when you when uh, uh, you know even a coach I, 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 uh, one of the coaches you know grabbed the grabbed the stick and he said I'll show you Ted Nolan school of stick handling and he started using it like a tomahawk and started pounding the I mean, uh, that I'm sucks. Gonna, you know, all of a sudden, what, what are you going to do? I mean, you're right. you're uh, second, your first year pro, and I only knew what I I knew, and I charged right after him, and I gave him the biggest uh, uh, biggest sucker punch I could find, and jumped on yeah. top. <laughs> and I and I remember going, I, I skated right off the ice, took my equipment off, drove uh, drove to the little apartment I was renting, told my wife at the time, uh, uh, my wife at that time. I said, pack up, we're out of here. We're, we're done. He said, well, what did you do? I said, well, I, I sucker punched the coach. I said, I don't think you're going to live with that too, too long. So anyways, I, I get a long story. I get a call from the general manager, and he arranges a meeting with the coach, and we went out for a while. We, we, we talked out our differences. But I, I think at the time it was probably so embarrassing for the organization to say, hey, how come this kid left? Uh, so we, we, we uh, dealt with it. Uh, talked about it and uh, forgot about it, and probably this is probably about the second or third time that I that I even mentioned the, the incident. Wow. Do you think either of your uh, sons are experienced anything like that, or you know, or you think times have changed where hopefully they're not dealing with stuff like that? Or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know what? With both my boys, I I built a hockey rink in my backyard, and uh, and just like my brothers taught me, my brother was a pro boxer. And he, ta- he taught me how to switch hands from left to right. And he said, blah, blah, hockey players don't know how to do that. Uh, he showed me how to punch from the hip and all that stuff. So I started teaching my boys. And uh, as soon as I started te- teaching them, I'm going, uh, time they turn pro, fighting will be out of the game for sure. I, I thought. So anyways, Brandon turns pro, sure enough, the fighting's still there. So I said, Jordan, we're going to teach you how to fight. So, <laughs> so, we, uh, so you, would, you just have to teach them to defend those defend mm-hmm. themselves but they uh their upbringing and my upbringing was, was totally different i yeah. mean their their fridge was always full the heat would be, if we wanted air conditioning we went and got air conditioning they needed a ride to the rink i give them a ride so their their life was a lot different and we were kind of like uh mother and uh mother and mother and papa bear we went to every practice we, we watched the behaviors of, of the coach see if anybody uh said anything derogatory to them and so yeah. Uh, no, they they didn't have too much outside of the odd the odd stuff uh, facing some opposition. Well, that's good, and certainly there has been progress made, but it's nowhere certainly where it needs to be. And you, you start your career there, and then um, um, off to Buffalo uh, that next season uh, through '97. Now, um, God, uh, I you know. That whole Buffalo thing with you and I—I I watched it, man. And I—it seemed to me, from afar and not knowing, but it seemed to me your teams would go through the wall for you. They played for you. You looked like you had it going on. Now, what happened in Buffalo? You get the job there. I've heard all sorts of things and rumors, and I know how people talk. And I'm like, man, I—I I have a hard time to believe that. And. I, I want, I guess, to give you an opportunity to set the record straight here and, and let people know the real deal. And we spoke about what it was. You know, I've heard everything. You slept with the goalie's wife. You did this. You own, <laughs> everything. And I'm like, man, it just it doesn't, from what I knew of you, and I knew you from afar, and, and honestly, I just, I thought Ted Nolan was a nice guy. I couldn't see him doing that. Shed some light onto that whole Buffalo situation, if you can. Well, you, you know, uh, I, I was—I had a long time to analyze it and try to figure it out my, myself because I—I I went into a very dark place. But a year after, I was let go by Buffalo because of all the stuff that you just said. 
and and actually the, the stuff that you just said and people are actually believing it and i'm yeah. going and then all of a sudden you, you start talking about defamation of character and you start talking about all this stuff and going you know i called a good friend of mine i said ted when somebody has a multi-million billion dollar corporation and a little guy like you gonna fight you haven't got a hope in heck of, of winning anything so just walk so I, I took his advice and i walked away and i said i don't want nothing to do with hockey the rest of my life and uh and i found out all those all those rumors i, I went to a event i went to a buffalo uh, bills i never been to a football game in my life i went to a uh, the, the tailgating and all that stuff. And I was driving. So I, I drove home, uh, uh, a gentleman from Buffalo and he said, geez, coach, is it true? I said, what, that you, uh, you slept with, uh, uh goalie's wife and go, what? So anyways, he said, that's a rumor all over town. So anyway, I, I called home right away and I said, Sam, you know, another rumor I just heard today. And I heard the other ones. I was, I was drunk at practice and, uh, drinking oh, all the time. Yeah. And all that stuff, and you know, Chris, probably that one probably hurt the the most was the was the drinking because my my mom was uh, uh, killed by a drunk driver, and uh, wow. I have uh, I have six brothers who are you know five brothers who are alcoholics, uh, and one are st- one's still here, uh, uh, five of them passed on now already, and uh, because of that, so that one probably hurt the most was because uh, I, I try to pride myself on uh, trying to be a good father. Trying to be a, you know, I went out for beers like everybody else did, but uh, to say I was I was drunk at practice was, uh, um, and and I finally came to the conclusion they they couldn't get rid of me because of the record because our team was uh, we won the Northeast <laughs> Division title, I just won the Coach of the Year so they can't get rid of me for, uh, right, uh, but they got rid of, rid of me for that reason. Then they 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 said I was uh, undisciplined. I wouldn't listen to management, but now that you find out with the. Uh, 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 the unwanted visitor. I did a little piece for TSN up here in Canada, and one of the first things I uh, I was told to do was with Pat Lafontaine, got hurt, and uh, I think it was oh. his sixth or seventh concussion, or whatever. And anyways, we as as I did during my coaching career, I'd call the players into the office, talk to them how the how the day's going, how's the kids, how the family, and he because uh, no one ever asked me. No one ever asked me. He said, Ted, what, how's it going in life? Uh, yeah. no, my father just died last week. Yeah, just get fucking ready to play. That's yeah, what yeah, it was, right? Forget about, about that. So I, I really wanted to. So I, I talked to Patty, and, uh, I, and I looked at his eyes, and his eyes were kind of twirling a little bit. And I'm going, geez, he doesn't look, he doesn't look good to me. So I, I asked him. I said, Patty, how are you feeling? He said, oh, he said, good. I said, no, no, tell me how you're really feeling. Not because we're, I'm just asking you the question, how you feeling? You're just going to say, yeah. No, tell me how you really, I said, oh, then he, he started crying. Then he started getting emotional. And then I'm going, gee, something wrong. So anyway, I told him I'm going to scratch him for the game. We're going to, of all teams, Hartford to play. And I, and I mentioned he's going to stay home and uh, get some rest. I'll, I'll make an excuse that he pulled the groin in practice. Uh, the general manager found out that I was doing it. Um, he called me up. He says, John uh, Makala. John Makala. Right. He, yep. he yep. said, well, what are you doing? He said, you're no doctor. You play him. And I said, we're paying him X amount of dollars and you're going to play him. I said, John, if I can't. I already gave him a day off. I said, uh, you're, you're not listening to me? I said, I can't. I already told him. So anyway, he got the owner to call me. Then the owner called me and told me the same thing. And I'm going, I, I can't. So anyways, I, I stuck by my guns. Thankfully, I did because Patty went to the uh, doctor, found out he had post-concussion syndrome. Uh-huh. And after they found out, that I thought I was going to get a slap on the back to say, good job. We never saw that. It uh-huh. was, uh, no, Ted doesn't listen to people. And uh-huh. all of a sudden, the drunks and uh, all the rumors, all the other rumors started and, and they just crucified me. And uh, even I had one of the uh-huh. owners in, in the documentary saying, uh, well, the plan was to give him, an offer, give him an offer that we knew he would refuse. So we got it right on video that the, that the gentleman said it. So all that stuff combined, I'm going, geez, I just really want, we're only here for a short time, Chris. We're not yeah. here for, for a long time. And I really want to enjoy, enjoy my life. So I, I, I just walked away. I just walked yeah. away. Until you, um, and obviously, because Tim and I certainly can speak from experience, when you get sober, you do find out who you are. Um, that's for sure. And, um, when you dilute yourself with drugs and alcohol, uh, oh. certainly doesn't help. No one's drugs are so, so awesome though. I love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, well, don't get us wrong. Make... There was a lot of fun times, you know. <laughs> so tapes. I gotta have so, you know sober sex, sober golf the rest of my life. Come on, what's this? <laughs> oh, oh god, I have, yeah. that, you got me on that one. I'm fucking tongue tied now. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I and I talk about the loving the drugs I did because it took away my pain. Yeah, you know, exactly. and I would go on. I was buying my bags of ecstasy and Molly and stuff, hundred at a time, and I'd be up for three, four days. Um, how the fuck? How the fuck did you play? Well, you had to have that in you to play. Fuck, well, right? Well, well, this was I after, drank, right? I my drugs were hard after, um, really hard after. I was always drinking. I was always a part of it. You know, play guilty. Some of my best games, <laughs> but the. The game hit me hard after um, I hit the drugs very hard. Uh, you know, you know, got divorced. You know, lost all that. You know, I always say when I'm counseling people, trying to get guys to have two identities, and what I mean by that is, guys' identities usually wrapped in their job. Yeah, and you lose that identity or that purpose, you've got nothing. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You don't have a purpose to get up. You don't, you, you have nothing. And I was told where to be and when to be and how to be for 40 years. And now I got nothing. Now everybody said who's going to be there is gone. Nobody hire me. Nobody, you know, I sold my Stanley Cup ring at one point in time. Um, it was just, you know, yeah. it was, uh, it was some dark times. Yeah, I guess. And we've, certainly been throwing ourselves tim and i um but you know everybody has their own story and you know that pain certainly when you numb it uh and i did it for years myself and um then you you, you got to come to and wake up and 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 grow up basically and and not something that's easy to do but it's well worth it once you know you, you get honest with yourself so willie yeah the ocd and you know, you explained at one time, like, being in a corner, like, a scared animal. Like, shit, how about being in a situation where, and I've been in plenty of these, and I'm sure you have, and you, Tim, too, where, you know, something bad happens in one game. You got that rivalry team you're up against, and you know you're going in that next game, and the shit's going to happen. Shit's hitting the fan. Uh, someone's dropping the gloves. Someone's going to get slashed. Someone's going to get cross-checked. And you know it's coming. Like, how did that affect you? I, I would act sick. I would just have the flu. I would have the flu. No, we know. <laughs> would that be the Filipino <laughs> flu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the flu. We call it just the flu. Okay. Um, obviously, I was in a slightly different role where I wasn't too... And the game has changed with that. We can be we, oh, game changed. It changed. No, I... Yeah. But no, they had yeah, some. Yeah. No, but those, I had right? I mean, my the big games, which is weird, like the playoffs where I mean I just felt like I was out of my mind type thing. Like yeah, it would certainly build Yeah, it it was difficult, but it, it really felt like every game was kinda like that. And I was more worried about bat I think I, f I felt more like the back to backs or if I had four and six, you know, a four and six or something like that, that's where I was kinda like, Oh shit, like this one's going to be very difficult because there's going to be no chance for me to recover here. I know I can't sleep. Um, so that those would be more difficult when I was looking at the schedule um, versus, yeah, versus anything. But, and it didn't really matter. <laughs> I was thinking so much about kind of myself and my skates that I, or, you know, other, other. <laughs> I was going to say, like, were you just like, fuck, I got to tie <laughs> yeah, my skates yeah. a lot. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> this road yeah, trip. I, don't to, I don't care if I'm playing against Crosby or not. Like, I <laughs> I got to get my skates right again. So it's, uh, yeah, it felt it felt more more to that. But I do remember it was uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks game one. I really, like, played in that. Literally out of my mind, I had two goals in the first period. And I, I, I went into the game going, how am I, how am I going to play this one? Um, so that was a, a good testament to the way the brain works because it's just somewhere in there that I can skate, you know, and continue to do that. How about the brain working this way? You know, the macho, all the macho stuff in the NHL locker room and on the ice and playing with pain and that, that, that. 
were you worried that teammates would find out and maybe be a little embarrassed by your OCD? Would it, I mean, did that ever yeah, kind of I play mean, in? It was weird because even though I knew, you know, I had something going on, like from 19 on, I was kind of like, okay, there's, there's something there. Um, yeah, I think it's still, I think it still became a very difficult position, even when recognizing that something had to change, just the vulnerable piece. I think anybody, you know, I, the locker room is a little bit more masculine for sure. Um, but I think everybody, um, has difficulties with humility and vulnerability. And for somebody like myself who really had never tried to experience any, um, of those aspects, I think it became, you know, more challenging, um, regardless of where I was. But I mean, even within that, you know, I think my, my Colorado locker room, um, and the guys were pretty, pretty great and, uh, pretty open and like Tyson Berry and Nathan McKinnon, I would actually like talk to them all the time about it. And we all talked about, you know, our stuff. So it actually, um, turned into pretty healthy relationships within the room. This episode's brought to you by better help. You know, it's easy to get swept up into the fast pace of life. So much so that we often forget about ourselves. I know because it happened to me. And most of you know, I battled addiction and have been clean and sober for years. I thought I could confront these issues on my own, but sadly, and I found out the hard way, I couldn't. I've become a big believer in the positive impact that therapy can have on someone. It helped me to learn some positive coping skills and also how to set some of those healthy boundaries. It actually empowered me to be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, I suggest BetterHelp. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's flexible, and you can arrange everything to fit your own schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Quite frankly, I wish BetterHelp was around when I was looking for help. It's so easy and flexible. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Raw Knuckles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Raw Knuckles. So I want to ask you, and I, a lot of people outside of Philly area and probably the hockey world some, um, when did you get married to Karen, Dave? I got married Were to Karen you, in during your career? 1989, yeah. That was, was she from Philadelphia? Uh, she was from the South Jersey area, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't know, and Tim, I'm not sure – um, Dave's lost his wife, Karen. She had an aneurysm. They were for dinner one night. And I just, when I read that, you know, um, and I, and I, I hate to bring up a sore spot, but you know, here you are, you, your second career is going good. And then you get hit with that. I know I can only imagine how extremely difficult it was for you. And honestly, when I read it, I was just like, man, and then having met you down in Philly, I just, God, I felt bad, bad for certainly for your wife and what happened to her, but you too, and moving on from that, not an easy thing. Those years for you, you know, bouncing back from that, how difficult was it? Well, that was hard. And that was, I was with the Rangers in that. And they, they gave me a lot of room to, for me to collect myself. I mean, I, I was, I, I struggled probably for two, three years. I really yeah. did. I mean, something like that, you, you just never think that something like that's going to happen to you. And I think everybody has something similar to that in their own life, but right. You know, somebody so close to you like that. And then this all of a sudden, you know, she basically, I mean, she collapsed in front of me and um, uh. you, I, I think you still take some problems like after that. Um, like I always have some regret that I, uh, there's, I couldn't have done more. Yeah. Um, I think about, um, I, I, I think, you know, just wonder if I could have done something different to, to maybe saved her. But I mean, looking back on re in reality, she, she, she collapsed and she was, she was gone immediately. Well, um, um, but I mean, I think it, it, I think it affects you in some ways that you don't, um, that you don't realize it and maybe yeah. you see it later, but, um, I, I really miss her and, 
so some days I think, man, did, did that really happen? It's like, it's an unbelievable situation when something like that happens. You just never think anything like that's going to happen to you. Well, God bless you uh, and certainly your family and thinking, uh, Karen, uh, again, a difficult thing to go through. And I, I, I wanted to address it because I just know and I can only imagine how difficult it was on you. The infamous tape, the infamous Uber ride. And, you know, when I look at it, and I listen to that. I'm going to sit here and tell you. I don't know how many fucking people have done that. And I think obviously the Uber driver is a rat fuck uh, weasel. But, you know, I've been in cabs before. The shit we've said as players about coaching staffs and that. And, and I look the other way, too. The way coaches talk about fucking players. Like all of a sudden, you know, like players can't talk about coaches. And anyway. We know what was said. Do you think when it come out, how shocked were you that it come out, one? And two, um, did you have that, like, were you sick to your stomach feeling, you know, when it came out? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I can, that's one of those moments in your life you can, you you basically remember every detail about, you know, all, everything that played out over that week or, or 10 days when, when everything was kind of coming out and, and, um, you know, I had my mother-in-law in town and, and, you know, we found out before the game and then after the game, seeing them and just kind of letting them know like, Hey, this is, this is going to come out and, and it's going to change our lives. Uh, I'm not sure how and, and how much, but, um, it's going to, and, you know, just kind of the fallout from all of that. And, you know, it, it's, I, I don't know if I can get into too many details, but, um, you know, it was just a, it was a really, really tough time, um, in my life. And, and, you know, I, I not taking away from, uh, you know, what was said because, you know, we, we were, um, you know, we felt bad about what had happened and, and, and we felt bad for, uh, the coach that was, that was talked about and, and just kind of everything that happened, it, it just seemed like, um, you know, no matter what we said, it, it wasn't going to be enough to, to, uh, express our, you know, sincere apologies. And, and that was difficult too, because I think each one of us felt, um, sorry and, and it was hard to express that. And it was hard to, it was kind of hard to stick together because it almost felt like it was every man for themselves. And, um, you know, I ended up being, uh, being traded and, and kind of moved around a little bit that year. And, and, um, you know, it was probably harder on my wife and, and my family because, um, each team I went to, I had 20 guys that were, you know, as supportive as they could be. And, and, um, you know, I really was, was hard on myself that year. It, it affected my play. Um, you know, I would lay in bed every single night and, think, you know, did I just ruin my career? And, you know, it, it took a long time to, uh, to, to come to terms with that. And, and, uh, you know, I think I'm finally, you know, in a place where I, I have that behind me, but it's something that I learned a lot from. Uh, I, 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 you know, went to the miners, I, I went to Russia, I did all these things that, um, you know, I had to, build myself up as a, as a player and as a person. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with the, you know, the father and the husband and the player that I am today because of everything I went through. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, internally within the game though, like I got a lot of guys had to like understand, you know what I mean? Like, like Chris said to begin with, like, I mean, this is no, I think that's so normal. I like, I, I was, and again, yeah, this ahead, is not ahead. a, this is not a poor me. Like I, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. And, and, and I again, for, for every, <laughs> you know, like for every, um, you know, for every negative comment that, uh, was directed towards me or one of the other guys, I think that there was probably three or four, um, positive comments like, Hey man, like, you know, shit happens. Uh, you know, I got your back, blah, blah, blah. Well, that was tough and came, you know, when it came to July one, there wasn't really many options, you know, and whether that was because of my play or because of what had happened, I don't know. I can tell you that my play for sure suffered because of what happened. You know, I, instead of focusing on hockey, I'm thinking about something that happened 
in an Uber ride in <laughs> November in, in Arizona. So it, it, it really, and again, I'm not looking for sympathy, but the honest to God truth, it, it fucked me up mentally where I, I could no longer focus on being the hockey player that I, that I was that got me to the NHL. And it fucked me up. And I have never spoken publicly about this and I never wanted to, but that's the, the honest to God truth. I appreciate your honesty uh, and honest, you know, and, and it's not easy to talk about. And we've all done things. I've done shit that afterwards it, it shook me to the core. Right. And, you know, do you want that second chance? Do you deserve that second chance? When I look at it, you know, like you're the fucking easy guy to send out the door. And that's what it was. It's like some of those other guys, you know, they continued playing. They're still there, but you're the fucking guy who paid the price. And you're not the only one who spoke. That being said, um, you know, our lives end up going, um, I believe, you know, things turn out the way they're supposed to turn out and things do happen for reasons. This happened and I believe people deserve second chances. And you certainly have those redeeming qualities. In just a short time I've known you, the short time I've watched you play. And I'm so happy you were able to to rebound from this and get another chance, not just in hockey, in the fucking NHL. Not just in Russia, not just some, but in the NHL. So I'm happy that you got that second chance and you got that opportunity again. You know, everybody is a tough guy. Mike Tyson said it until they get punched in the face. Okay. (laughs) And you've had, and I watched these and Tim watched me. I've seen them before, but I watched them again today. And, and Tim was here and Barry was here and I actually get sick to my stomach. Watch I do. I, it makes me cringe when I see another tough guy, um, something bad happened to him and I get it can happen. You know, was, was the first one, you broke your uh, orbital bone against Karen's, Eric Karen's in the yeah. island. Then the boogeyman, you end up just shattered your face. I mean, I was sick to my freaking uh-huh. stomach watching it. And then the last one in New York with all, you got knocked out cold. And I saw you laying there in the ice and your hands yeah. were up like this. And I'm like, man, I, I, I felt good shot. Yeah, it was like. So, so you go through these things, and people don't understand what a guy goes through when they're everybody's rah rahing and they want you to win the fight, but they don't know what the fighter goes through. Those three injuries alone, after one of them, a lot of guys would have <laughs> never been the same or would have <laughs> packed it in. How the hell were you able to bounce back each time? First, Karen's, then you come back to the boogeyman, they rebuild your face, boom. You come back and then you get knocked. Uh, hello, how how do you how did you bounce back yeah. from that? That's difficult. I I don't I don't know. I never I never looked at it like that. I mean I knew they were injuries, but I, I guess I trusted the doctors and I mean it was my livelihood and the the first Karen's one it wasn't um it was it was a break but it was it was fixable and probably stronger after and uh, the guy that I had to do it. Dr. Guy Lanzi, he's the best. Mm-hmm. He was one of the guys that invented some of the, some of the, uh, the zygomatic arch implants and stuff. So, uh, I just, I, I asked him, he goes, you know, like, am I still going to be okay? And he goes, you know, if doing what you do is bone on bone, it's going to break no matter what. So, um, but when it heals and you give it time, yeah, it'll be just as strong yeah. as it was. So like, I trusted these guys and I mean, the true test is getting but, punched in the yeah, face. Yeah. The physical you know? part, the, that's the physical part. How about the, I'm saying the confidence part, the shaking your confidence and, and how do I get back from that? How'd you like the, dealing with it personally? Like the, I get the I physical part. You heal. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have a choice. If I wanted to keep playing, I couldn't show that that was going to uh, bother me. It was like, get back on the horse and there it's almost, it's almost the crazier you were. They were like they they they'd leave you alone, and they'd be like, "No, this this kid keep him around, man. Like he yeah. he'll do whatever, you know." And I took I took a sense of pride in it for some reason, but probably I mean I was self destructive at that point. Like I was going after uh, trying to trying to stay in the game after those injuries. Well, it would it, it, I guess that would be the starting point of it, you know. With the injuries, I obviously had surgeries and stuff, and. Um, that that was a big one but 
when I got hit on this side, uh, th- th- this fight, I actually thought that I did pretty good in. Like, that's what's different. Like, I, I took one in it, and, like, I knew something was off, but it didn't hurt that bad. Like, I just, I remember hitting Karen, so the, the confidence wasn't down that bad, and I was just too dumb to probably yeah. realize how bad that injury was. But um, got it fixed, and then when, when, when Bugard hit me, though, that was something else because oh. I remember getting hit. I was, I didn't get right. knocked out. And I remember the linesman telling me uh. stay down like he, cause he could, mm. he could see the face. And I, I knew as well that it was, it was messed up because you're, you don't see as well out of the eye. And it wasn't like it was a swelling or anything, or there was blood around. It was like, pressure pushing my eye to see like walleye that was it was looking somewhere else and i went like this on my face and and knew that the like you could i could tell where his fist had hit and i was like okay i i'm gonna stay down here and then the linesman helped me up and i i knew that i had to go directly off because my face was broken like you can tell when you get a good sh- like a good break i don't know if anybody can tell as bad as this one but it it, it basically took this bone and just moved it all the way up to my nose and just blew out everything else that was in there so my eye was my eye was saved um thank god uh, but i had i mean geez how many plates i got put in there well there's i think there's 12 in there now uh most of them were from the bugard fight and that's that's the one like they do say uh like you'll change and that was the one that changed me are you better looking though and how did change it I don't know. I, you ask my wife, she thinks I, I no, I look like a catcher's mitt in my face. <laughs> how, how did it change you? You said it changed you. How did it change you? Well, you got to understand that there, at that time in my life, I, there was things that were different. Like I had a family and I was married with kids and um, it's like there's a lot more on the line and, you know, it's it's... I have to have longevity now, right? Because we're making the least amount ever, right? We 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 gotta, we still have to do stuff after the game. We still gotta work and stuff. We, there's not many guys can just retire on what they earned, and I yeah. wasn't one for sure. So I needed to keep playing because I was still young at that time. I was in the prime and uh, had a couple good seasons, and um, I just took probably I think it was. Man, I don't even know when I came back. That whole season, that whole year after that injury, I getting traded back to Philly. And um, I mean, the doctor told my wife that my career was over, um, mm. like while I was in the hospital. And I remember the guys coming to see me in the hospital, like Niedermeyer was with Anaheim at that time. And they just said, uh, uh, like, you're going to be okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to play in a bit. Like, I'm going to see how fast this is just broken yeah. bones. Yeah. It'll heal. I, my It'll body heal. and everything is still okay. I can play still. I'm going to see how quickly I can come back. Put me in a cage. Like, that was my mentality. And people were like, yo, man, you got to seriously consider, you know, retiring. And it was it, it didn't cross my mind at that moment, even with that bad of an injury. So, uh, I don't know, if, whatever. It, it turned out, I guess, okay, because I still kept playing. But then, again, yeah, I got hurt again. Uh, but again, like even when I was trying to come back, like the mask came off, guys were like, when I was asking them to go, uh, they were just, they didn't want like, they didn't want to hurt you. A couple about a couple of teammates, and I'm gonna start yep. with one. I don't uh, and, and what you thought of them, and did you ever see coming what became of him? And that's Rick Rippin. Yeah, love Ripper. Um, you know what? With Ripper, listen, I got traded to Vancouver my first year, and we were both living at the Sutton Place Hotel. And this is before I really knew what was going on with Rip. But, you know, I'd come back from from lunch or dinner, and there'd always be a do not disturb sign on his door. And I'm like, fuck this. You know, what's going on with this guy? And, you know, took a leave of absence the first year, and then came back for the playoffs. And then the offseason, and then I, our second year in Vancouver, I, I seen something switch with Rip that um, – you know, he was happy and, 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 and we became really good buddies. You know, Ripper was, I was telling you the story about the Sunday on the patios in Vancouver. Ripper was with me all day that day. Um, you know, met a girl that year, was happy with her. Obviously something went wrong there. 
Um, so to answer your question, I always knew there, that, that Rip was dealing with something. Um, I thought he had turned a corner, yeah. you know, the second year in Vancouver. And, and you know, when I heard the news, uh, crushed like everybody else. Um, you know, people maybe don't know about Rip, but great sense of humor, funny guy, loved to laugh. And I mean, you talk about tough knuckles. I yeah. mean, this guy. I, I, I mean, heard. are you kidding me? Like yeah, this guy and could play, could play, like yeah. make plays, score goals, hit, yeah. and just absolutely sit in the pocket and fight. You know what? He wasn't very big either, was he? No. Yeah. And yeah. he would go lefty knuckles, and yeah. he would hold that left yeah. up and block it. Yeah. And then like he was no, he wasn't very big. You know, it's a shame because it. it it's terrible to see how people slip through the cracks, even when you know they have an issue. We think of um, the former USA gold medalist and NHL Ranger, uh, um, Mark Pavlich, right? Um, uh, Rick Rippin, uh, in a day and age where mental health was, you know, starting to be looked at more, still not where it is today. And, um, a guy slips through the cracks like that. It's, uh, and sometimes it, you, you know, you, you know, there might be something wrong with someone and they're having issues and you're trying to work with them. And, you know, people obviously for different reasons, don't open up and don't accept the help either. And I'm not saying he didn't, it's just a shame when you see someone slip through the cracks like that, but, uh, and he's not yeah, the only one. It really so. was. Um, so I, my wife and I became separated when we were, uh, living there. And for the last year, um, of my contract, she moved back to Canada with the kids. So I'd fly back every second weekend. So I went from someone, okay, you're really going to have another drink to I've got no guardrails. So I'm like, oh my God, I can, I can go out till all hours and no one's going to give me trouble. Got into a relationship where. The person I was in the, again, I'm not blaming the relationship. I got into a relationship that um, went in line with what I wanted, which was full green lights. It was never, maybe we should uh, cut it off here to, uh, no, let's order another couple bottles of wine. Rip it. Rip it. Yeah. Fucking so right. I got into that and carried that back to Canada. So uh, to answer your question, when I'd get done work, uh, the kids would be asleep when they were here. And if they weren't, then um, crack a bottle of wine, have a couple of joints. Well, that bottles of wine's done, so I'm gonna have a a couple of old fashions. Stagger up to bed, repeat the process yeah. on the weekends without the kids. Well, just... What time would you get to bed? Four, four or five. Well, always, always hungover. Sleep, sleep all day. Uh, take the kids to school, then come home and yeah. sleep. And then if I didn't have the kids yet, just sleep all day. And then on the weekends, okay, uh, we had Friday, Saturdays off. So wake up. Okay, it's screwdriver time. Um, and then just uh, rip it up. So yeah. got out of control. Um, and I remember actually one weekend in which I was on the phone with someone. Because you're always making phone calls. I now look back. I'm like, yeah. The, those drunk phone calls, you always think, oh, this person's going to enjoy this. No, they don't. <laughs> what a conversation. Yeah, I, got yeah. some, I got some really important things. <laughs> so I, I always would keep the party going. So one night I'm here at the house and I call a friend and, um, and I'm doing whatever. And I hear the music playing in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see if, uh, I'm going to go see if anyone's still here. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I was going to see if the party's still going in the kitchen. They're like, you're home alone. And I'm like, Oh <laughs> oh boy. I think that's where I'm like, I think I've got a problem, but then I still would, would, uh, negate those thoughts with more alcohol and more weed. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's where I started to realize, okay, maybe this is getting out of control. And where I really hit my, my spot in which I said, okay, I need help was I get laid off from from my work from bell on a wednesday of super bowl week so the kids get picked up uh regular time on a friday and i'm like of course when you're an alcoholic you have every reason Did to you celebrate say laid off I, i'm supposed suppose i was fired. laid off not fired you got fucking okay. fired yeah, uh business off. decision you got fired. i got fired right. so <laughs> all right. um all right 
when you're an alcoholic, you have every reason to to drink. If it's a, a celebration, yeah. if you it's yeah. a, if it's a death in the family, if it's losing your job. So I'm like, holy shit, this is my Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I dialed it up uh, tenfold, and um, people arrived at my house Friday night. And I'm like, oh, they're here to party. But now I know, in looking at it from a distance, they were here to make sure I stayed alive. They weren't here to party with me, mm-hmm. and they would. Like they, one person would leave. Another person would come back. I'm like, Oh, look at this. Look at this. They're here to party. Jay showed up on the Saturday. He's like, I'm coming out to see. I'm like, all right. (laughs) So he sat around, we shot the shit. Um, and then on Sunday was a Super Bowl party at my friend's house. And I turned it up a notch there at one point. You mentioned my before and after picture. I have a cut on my head because I lost the fight with gravity, fell, hit my head on their fridge. And he's, he says, yeah, we saw so, you falling. We saw it happen. And we couldn't get there in time. So, so I woke so, up. I woke up in his house with the cut on my head, staring at the prospect of, okay, I've worked for 22 years nights. So all of a sudden I'm going to have nights in which work isn't going to get in the way of my drinking. So it's going to be, um, clear path to just drink and smoke weed all day. I'm like, this is not going to end well. So I literally woke up that day, uh, the Monday after Super Bowl, and said, I need help. Having said that, you know, Tim, I came very close to losing my job, and 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 um, and year one, I'm getting I'm getting crucified in the daily newspaper in the Montreal <laughs> Gazette. I'm getting Welcome destroyed. Welcome to the okay? club. <laughs> like this guy, right? and who does he think Welcome he is? Welcome to the club, Tony. Yeah. He doesn't even know how to speak English. And the fact of the matter is my English, you know, was not great. And it probably still isn't. Like I speak and understand five languages, English, French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese. But I knew I do neither of them very well. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, I was I was getting crucified. I was trying to find my way. My ratings weren't very good. And by the way, I know exactly what I did wrong, all right? Uh, Besides the fact I was raw and I was nervous and I wasn't very polished, the one thing I was doing wrong is I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. And the person that I used to be that used to call the radio show as a teenager, I was trying to be this professional guy. Like, I was trying to sound like Pierre Maguire, so very polished, so very professional, well, Pierre Maguire is polished and he is professional. Tony Marinaro, that's not him. Tony Marinaro is not polished. Tony Marinaro isn't always professional. Uh, Tony Marinaro sometimes doesn't have a filter and will say something that he might regret, but he says it. And um, so about a year later, I get called into the office and the general manager at the time was the late Lee Hamilton. So he calls me into the office with Wayne Buse. And he tells me that he's not happy with my progress. He's not happy with my results. Ooh. And he wants to get rid of me. Ooh. I didn't know this. (laughs) Yeah. And so Wayne Buse says, listen, why don't we do this? All right. We'll give you a month. And uh, or he talks Lee Hamilton into giving me a month. Let's give him a month. Now that he knows what we don't like, now that he knows what's not going well, Let's see how he responds. Let's see if he can turn it around. Unfortunately, I didn't respond very well because the pressure I felt, instead of bringing out the best in me, it, it actually it made me even more nervous. Yeah. Huh? So one month later, Nux, <clears throat> I go into the office, and today's doomsday, right? I'm getting fired. So Wayne calls me into his office, and he says to me, he says, you know, um, we're supposed to meet with Lee Hamilton. But he got fired. (laughs) I know. And he says, uh, and he says, listen, Tony, he was going to fire you today. He says, but he died four hours ago. Oh, Jesus. I said, are you kidding me or what? And, uh, and he said, no, he said he had terminal cancer and I didn't even know. He says, I got a phone call from his wife this morning telling me that he passed away. And I had no idea that he had terminal cancer. So Wayne said, uh, listen, crazy. Um, I'm going to hold on to you. I have a feeling you're going to be a star one day. Now, so just go out there and prove me right. Go out there and be you. 
and it was a turning point for me. And I tried to be more myself and with more shows and more hours behind the microphone nux, I got more and more comfortable. And, um, you know, I did the afternoon drive for two and a half years. Then I did the morning show for two and a half years. And then one day Wayne um, says, I want to take you out to lunch. And he takes me out to lunch. And Elliot Price and Sean Starr back then were doing the show at 10 a.m. And I know they really wanted to do the show at 6 a.m. that I was doing so that they can, you know, Elliot was an avid golfer yeah, at golf the time. Time. And he, he wanted, golf. I mean, he, uh, he whispered in Wayne Buse's ear on a couple of occasions, hey, if you're ever thinking of making a change with that 6 o'clock show, you know, I'd love to have that slot. And to be honest with you, I mean, even though it's a it's a prestigious slot to have morning radio, you know, your personal life sucks. You got to go to bed early. I woke up early every morning. I felt like a zombie. I'm not a morning person. So anyway, Wayne took me to lunch and he goes, uh, I'm, we're going to change slots and you're going to do your own show now uh, at 10 a.m. And uh, Price and Star are going to go in the morning. And I was like, wow, like, is this good for my career? Like, I'm going from morning, man. And Wayne said, trust me when I tell you this, this is going to be the best thing that could happen for your career. First of all, it'll be the best thing that can happen to your personal life because you're going to be able to sleep now. Um, <laughs> secondly, secondly, he said, um, the 10 a.m. slot is so tough to get ratings because obviously out of all the slots, it's the one that has the least cars on the road. So, but if there's someone that can make something out of nothing, he goes, it's you. And I really believe that in this slot at 10 a.m., your personality can come out a lot more than it can co-hosting at 6 a.m. So he said, um, so I said, okay. And as it turns out, I did that show for about 15 years. And it was, he was right. It's the greatest thing that could happen to me. Why? If I didn't have a good book, I wasn't expected to have a good book. No. You know, no. it's it's yeah, it's yeah. a tough slot for ratings. If I had a very good book, wow. If I ended up finishing number one in ratings, wow, wow, wow. So it was it was a win-win situation. My personal life was better. Uh, I was able to be more myself on that show. I was pretty much doing it myself between 10 and noon. I mean, I had an op, but, I, you know, I took up a lot of the airtime. Uh, I got my own guests. I did my own thing. And it was it really was the best thing that could have happened to me at the time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.